0: Amen. Well, guys, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our last 316 in our series. So we've done our top 10, today's the bonus. All right, the bonus 316 and today we are looking at the last book of your Bible, the most interesting, the most exciting, the hardest to interpret. Buckle up. Revelation chapter 3:16. So turn with me there if you will and let's please stand together for the reading of Holy Scripture. I'm going to read for us, starting in verse 14, and we're going to read down to verse 22, the end of the chapter. Revelation 3, starting in verse 14, we'll read to verse 22. Our main text, of course, is 316, but let's read the whole passage for context. This is God's holy word for us, His people today. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write... The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's holy, inspired, powerful word for us, his people today. Let's ask him to bless our time in this word. Father, we come to the point where you have heard our voice. We seek to hear yours not just through the reading of your word, but now through the opening of that word, through preaching, as you've commanded us to do, to read Scripture and to expound and preach that word read. We pray that you would bless not just the reading, but the preaching, and make it an occasion for your Holy Spirit to use the word, to write its truth upon our hearts, upon our church, and upon our lives. For your glory we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've lived here for a couple of years now. So I think we've gotten to know each other a little bit. For example, Erica thinks I only talk about hot wings. That's my only sermon illustration is buffalo wings. That's what she thinks. I made it very, I was very intentional last week when I was talking about things we love and I mentioned foods. I was very intentional not to mention chicken wings because I know I'd hear about it. I mentioned steak which is also delicious. So we've gotten to know each other a little bit. You know some little things about me. I'm starting to know a little things about you. One thing you probably have learned about me is that I have always preferred warmer weather. (laughs) Thank you for building the manse on the windiest knoll in Pennsylvania. (laughs) The cold, awful, brutal, cold wind that's blowing across my front yard when I take my dog out. You know, it's making me question the Lord's will. <laughs> I like it warmer. In the foothills of North Carolina, winters can get cold, and you know, I've, I've been in cold weather down south, but it's not quite the same. It doesn't feel like the same thing here. I can remember, in fact, more than one year in the past when it was 60 degrees on Christmas, And I refuse to play along. I would say it's not supposed to be this warm on Christmas Christmas Day. It needs to be a little chillier. So I would put on long sleeves and I would just sweat through Christmas because I refuse to play along. It shouldn't be 60. It should be a little colder. But other than Christmas Day, 60 year round sounds pretty nice. And of course, snow is a rare sight back home as well for the part that we live in in the foothills. Uh, Snow is a rare sight, which is how I like it. A light dusting is enough to shut down the schools and close the roads and you name it. And that's, that's the way we like it. Moving to PA, to Pennsylvania, has forced me to deal with cold and snow on a whole new level. Now, you can generally divide everybody up into these two groups. Those who like things cold and those who like it warm. In our passage this morning... Jesus weighs in on the debate over which is better, cold or hot. But Jesus isn't talking about the weather. He's talking about churches, cold and hot churches. He also isn't talking about the temperature in the sanctuary, Some people like a nice cozy warm sanctuary all year round. Some people want it a little on the chillier side. He's not talking about the temperature in the building. No, Jesus has in mind the spiritual temperature of the church, the spiritual state or condition of his people in the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus gives John seven prophetic messages to deliver to seven specific churches. John writes down each of these seven messages in the form of a letter addressed to the pastors of each congregation. You can see this in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? Now, don't let that word angel throw you off. In Greek, the word for an angel is just the normal word for a messenger. So, it can be translated a messenger. Hey, go give somebody this note for me. That's an angel. That's a messenger. Or it could be a king who has an official envoy who goes on an official... As an emissary representing, you know, a government authority, that also could be an angel, a kind of messenger. If it's God's messenger, it's called an angel. He sends someone from heaven to go take a message. But here, we know it doesn't mean like one of God's angels write to the angel of the church. Why would God ask John to write a letter to an angel? God could just go, hey, Gabriel, I got a message for you. Right? He doesn't need John to write a physical letter to mail to heaven. You know, as one old country song says, there's no address in the stars. So it's a person. It's the messenger of that church. It's God's messenger for that church. And that's how Jesus is speaking of the pastor of that church. It's a person, a human being, who God's put in that church to deliver God's heavenly word, his messages, his messenger. To the angel, to the pastor, to the to God's appointed messenger for that church, write this letter. Our passage is found in the seventh and final letter at the end of chapter 3. And it's here in a message addressed to the church in Laodicea, which was a city in Asia Minor, which today is modern-day Turkey. He says, Send a message to Laodicea. And it's in this letter, in this message, that Jesus weighs in on the debate over which is better. Cold or hot. A spiritually cold church or a spiritually hot church. And intriguingly, Jesus at first doesn't say which is better. Because which is better isn't his point. At least at the beginning of the passage. He doesn't directly say which he prefers his people to be up front, not at first anyways. What he says in verse 15, and what we'll focus on in our main, in our main verse, verse 16, is that cold and hot are both much better than lukewarm. And in what follows, Jesus gives a warning to lukewarm churches, and he challenges and encourages them to change. So let's turn to the passage and begin by looking at what a lukewarm church is and what Jesus' and Jesus's graphic warning against lukewarm churches. So here I have three things I want to say about what a lukewarm church is. This is in verses 14 to 15. Let's read those verses together. 14 to 16. 14 to 16. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Now that's, the ESV translators had a, they they thought they were the King James translators all of a sudden. And they said, would that you, you know, would that thou art colder. I would rather you be cold or hot. If you have a non-ESV, it's probably in regular English. Would that you were, so the ESV gets you sometimes. It get, it, it'll get you. Would that you were either cold or hot. I would rather you be. I would prefer that you would be either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Three things about what a lukewarm church is from these verses. Number one, lukewarm is the worst. Lukewarm is the worst. Cold And hot are both better. Lukewarm is the worst. Let me illustrate this. Let me illustrate this. I went to, well, back up. You know how when you go to Starbucks and they don't know how to spell your name on the cup? You know how you've never seen your name spelled correctly at a Starbucks, right? It's not just me, right? Okay. I have this thing where I I know I cannot say my own name to someone in customer service. I don't know intelligently, they they don't understand what I'm saying. And I say Wesley and they don't know what I said. I don't I don't know what is my accent. I don't understand. I can't say it. Wesley. Yeah. It just comes out so, I had an idea. I'm at Starbucks, and I thought, all right, my middle name, we're getting to know each other, my middle name is Mark, but it's Mark with a C, M-A-R-C. So, I thought, I will, I'll just use Mark. I can say Mark. What's the name? Mark. Okay. I get my cup, and it says, C A R K. Mark with a C. He can't argue with it. That story has no bearing on the sermon. It's just a great story and I wanted to tell it. But I have a related story that is relevant. The first time I ever had a frappe because I was never a big coffee drinker up until, you know, maybe 10 years ago. First time I ever had a frappe, which I know isn't real coffee, but work with me, was at the uh, student center, the Tucker Student Center in Boiling Springs, North Carolina, at Gardner-Webb University, where Sarah went to college. I'd never had one. So we're sitting in the student center, and she says, you need to try a frappe. And they had a little, a little place there with a little student worker who was making the frappes. And so I said, okay, well, pick me out one you think I would like. And, and we had just gotten married. And she was like, okay, I'll pick you out one you don't, you, that you're going to like. So it was a, like a cookies and cream kind of deal. And, you know, and she buys it. She brings it over to me. And she hands it to me. And I take a sip. And it is this grotesque sludge. It was just, it was ground up cookies. Maybe a splash of milk with some chocolate syrup in it. And it was just warm. And I, and, and the sludge that I'm sucking through this straw. And uh, she's like, what do you think? And I'm like, it's horrible. Frappes are awful. And she's like, you're crazy. That's definitely, I know you would like this. And I'm like, it's just this clumpy, gloopy, She'd give me that. And she took a sip and she was like, oh, they didn't put any ice in it. You know, you gotta grind up ice for a frappe. And this this idiot <laughs> made me an ice free frappe. It wasn't warm, like hot, and it wasn't cold. It was room temperature sludge cookies. Okay? It was disgusting. And I wanted to ask to speak with the manager. I didn't. He just made me another one. We didn't say anything. And it was delicious when he made it the right way. It was great. Okay? So when Jesus says, I know your works, I would rather that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Think about it in terms of coffee. Think about it like coffee. Some people love iced coffee. Others much prefer hot coffee. But nobody likes room temperature coffee. Nobody. Here's the weird thing. Compared to hot coffee, it's too cold. But compared to iced coffee, it's much too warm. It's too cold and too warm at the same time. It's just... Lukewarm, room temperature, coffee. It's, and that's the worst. It's nasty. It's disgusting. And Jesus' point to the church in Laodicea is, Lukewarm churches are nasty. Lukewarm churches make Jesus sick. Jesus says in verse 15, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. I know what goes on in your church. And when I get a taste of what you're serving me, it makes me disgusted. Because it's neither hot nor cold, you're serving up this lukewarm nonsense It just turns Jesus' stomach. It's one of the most graphic pictures in the New Testament where Jesus says, You guys are nauseating. You turn my stomach and I want to vomit when I get a taste of what you're serving me in your church. He would rather them be ice cold. I would rather that inside and out you were just an iceberg. Or I would rather you be flaming, volcanically erupting hot, but don't give me this lukewarm stuff. It's nasty. That's the second thing about lukewarm churches. The first is, they're the worst. (laughs) Lukewarm is the worst. It's worse than being cold, spiritually cold. It's way worse than being spiritually hot. And the second thing is, lukewarm churches are nasty to Jesus. The third thing is, lukewarm churches don't last long. Look what he says in verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus regurgitates nasty churches. He spits them out. Now, those churches are still sitting on their finely manicured lawns, and they still have pretty buildings and programs and people coming, and it might look like they're doing great. But Jesus says, that church makes me want to throw up. Because it's not about how put together and well-functioning we are on the outside. It's about our spiritual condition. We are spiritually nauseating to the Lord And a church like that, that's spiritually lukewarm, won't last long. Eventually, Jesus spits those churches out. And they cease to be true churches. Now, what does a lukewarm church look like? We'll look at verse 17. Jesus says, "For, "'For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing.'" Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, or pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is a church that looks great on the outside. They have convinced themselves that they are wealthy, rich, well-supported. In fact, they think, They don't need anything. We have no needs that need to be met. And we have no need to do anything different. We're rich. We're prosperous. God must be blessing us. Look at the favor he's poured out. And they don't even realize that on the inside, their spiritual condition is horrendous. They look hot on the outside they're ice cold on the in the inside they're neither hot nor cold they're somewhere in between they're lukewarm it's a disgusting spiritual condition to be in to think that you can see to think that you're prosperous to think that you're well off and yet to be told by Jesus you don't even realize how wretched you guys are how pitiful and poor and blind and naked On the inside, lukewarm is the worst. Lukewarm is nasty. Lukewarm doesn't last. Lukewarm looks good on the outside, but is rotten on the inside. That takes us to our second point. So, what is Jesus' counsel to a lukewarm church? If the church in Laodicea, if First Presbyterian of Laodicea, is lukewarm, What is Jesus' counsel to them? What should they do? And this is where Jesus actually indicates in a roundabout way that he wants a zealous, on-fire church. Of course, if you're going to be, if you're not going to be lukewarm, and you can either be cold or hot, be hot. Be on fire. But if you're not going to be on fire, I'd rather you be cold. Don't be somewhere in the middle. He wants the church to be a zealous, on-fire church. So how, Jesus, how do we become an on-fire church? What does it even mean to be on fire? And he tells us in verses 18 and 19. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments... So that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. He has two things that he tells a church, that he tells you and me, that we need to do as individual Christians and as a whole church if you don't want to be lukewarm, you've got to, be, you've got to do these two things. Number one is you've got to be a repentant Christian. And number two, you've got to do business with Christ. You've got to be a repentant Christian and you've got to do business with Christ. What does it look like to be on fire? He talks about being on fire in terms of having zeal in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline... Jesus is telling them, look, I wouldn't be telling you how sickening your church is if I didn't actually love you and want you to change. I would have just spit you out a long time ago. But I'm not doing that. I'm disciplining you. I'm correcting you. I've, I've given this message to John. He's written this letter. It's sent to you so that you will repent, so that you can change, so that I don't have to spit you out. So, you don't have to be lukewarm anymore. You can change. You can be different. I've sent the word to you. I'm warning you now. That's because I love you. My love for you still burns strong. Therefore, let your love burn strong. Be zealous. And what does it look like when we're on fire with the zeal of the Lord? It looks like a life of repentance. Be zealous and repent. You know, we have in our minds that on fire looks like every Sunday, I just, my hands are up there in every song, and I'm just gyrating in the spirit, and, and I'm on fire, and I want to run around the room, or I, I evangelize everybody I meet, and I witness to everybody And when I'm getting groceries, and I'm shopping, everybody I meet, Jesus loves you, brother, get saved today, and, and just, you're on fire, you're, you only listen to Christian radio, and you just always are... We think that's what on fire is. Now, those things... Have their place. Those things can be part of being on fire. But in this passage, it's way simpler than that and way harder than that at the same time. It's simpler because it's just repent. You want to be on fire? Be a repentant Christian. Repent of your sin every day. Deal with your sin with repentance. Be zealous about killing that old sin that wants to drag you to hell. Be on fire in mortal combat with your own sin. Not your neighbor's, yours. And be zealous about dealing with sin. Repent deep down, all the way down. And when you repent, when you are on fire about confessing your sin, renouncing your sin, fighting your sin, when you repent, that means you renounce sin and you turn from it. And where do you turn? You turn to the Lord Jesus and you do business with Christ. That's what he says. I count you to buy from me. That's business. Come and have this transaction with me. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Come get the real purified treasure that you seek. Don't look and say, I'm outwardly rich. Look at my bank account. Look, our church is prospering. Look how good we're doing. Look how much giving is up. That's no index to God's favor. That's no indication that you're not a lukewarm church. Laodicea had all that great, great membership, great giving, prosperity, affluence, comfort, convenience, church growth. They probably looked like a fabulous church. They thought they were pretty fabulous, but spiritually, they were just a wreck. And he says, come and get from me true spiritual riches, the purified, refined by fire gold that is true spiritual riches. Come and get from me white garments that, so that you won't be naked and shameful anymore. Come and take from me a robe of seamless white white righteousness to clothe yourself in your shame. And come and buy from me the salve you need to anoint your eyes so that you can see again. Come to me for true spiritual riches. Come to me for your spiritual clothing in my holiness and innocence and righteousness. Come to me for the miracle of spiritual sight so that you can see And when he says buy, he doesn't mean that it's going to cost you. Right? You got to pay me a price. It's not that. When he says buy from me, our minds should immediately fly to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, where the prophet says, where God says through the prophet, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Oh, come and do business with this Christ who gives everything and charges you nothing because He's paid for it already. You just come and receive it. What do you trade in for all these riches? Your sin. You repent, you trade in that old sin, and he gives you all his spiritual riches, all his perfect righteousness and innocence before God that covers all that shame and all that old sin and nakedness. And he gives you the Holy Spirit to anoint your heart, to open up the eyes of your soul, to see him high and lifted up, and to be like, yes, that is real spiritual riches, Christ and Him crucified and risen for me. A church that's on fire about the true Jesus and what He really offers and what He really brings, and a church that is zealous for repentance. That's a church that's on fire. A church that comes on to worship, ready to lay down those sins and take up everything Jesus has for us and to go back out and be on fire for Him To live with zeal for him. And what is the result when this happens? What's the result when this happens? Verse 20: Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. He's standing at the door of a church, the Laodicean church. And he's out there and he's knocking, and he's knocking, and he's knocking. If anyone hears my voice, anybody inside the church, if you hear me out here knocking, somebody come open the door and let me in. You're too busy in there, distracted by all the stuff you think makes you a blessed church or a good church, and you're ignoring me. You've locked me out. Jesus says, open up your door, your church door. If anyone in there can hear my voice calling, and opens the door, I will come in, and I will eat with him and he with me. A church that gets on fire like this has this promise. Jesus doesn't find you disgusting and doesn't want to spit you out. He wants to sit down for a delightful, satisfying fellowship and communion with him. Jesus wants to dine with those churches. He wants to be in those churches. That's where he likes to eat. That's where he finds his satisfaction. He savors instead of spits out. That's the promise. You get on board with this, you'll have a satisfied Savior seated with you in church. Delighting in what you serve him. Not having his stomach turned, but being pleased. Being pleased with us. You will be a communing church, a church that dines with the Lord. And that takes us to the final point. We will not just be a communing church, but we will be a conquering church. Look at the promise that's held out to a conquering church in verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. What an astounding promise. Jesus overcame the cross, the grave, raised from the dead, exalted, and he is seated on a throne with his father at his right hand. And what's this promise to a conquering church? You guys will get to sit with me. The church that overcomes inherits the kingdom of Christ. And you aren't going to be the lowest caste in that kingdom. You will be up there as heirs of God, heirs with Christ of an eternal kingdom and full glory that cannot pass away and that will satisfy us with fullness of joy that lasts forever. A communing church is one that's on fire, not lukewarm. In a communing church that perseveres and overcomes and conquers and makes it to the end in faithfulness to the Lord, at His coming we will sit with Him on His throne, co-heirs with Christ, in the kingdom of eternal glory and eternal joy. He has warned lukewarm churches of what will happen if they remain lukewarm. He has counseled us and told us and challenged us to become an on-fire church, a church of repentance that does real spiritual business with Christ according to the gospel. And He has challenged us and encouraged us to become a persevering, overcoming, conquering church that is steadfast to the end and held out is the promise of the eternal kingdom. And to conclude, he says in verse 22, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hear what the Spirit says to this church today. Not just to Laodicea 2,000 some odd years ago, but this is a call to us. This is a call for each of us individually, and a call for us as a church, as the Forks Church, to listen to the voice of Jesus knocking. Let me in. Let me in. I want sweet communion and fellowship with you. Let me in. Repent and let me dine with you. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to us to lay down our sin and come to Christ and be, be one of the members of a church that's like this because the church doesn't become like this unless you and I who make up the church become like this. It's a call to us to hear, to be zealous, and to repent. And so this year, let us go deeper. Let us go deeper and deeper with the Lord. Let us be this communing church. Let us be this conquering church that is pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is our true prayer today, that you would make us, by your Spirit, through the power of your Son's words to us, recorded in this letter in Revelation. Let this be a message to us today. May we have the ears to hear it, what the Spirit is saying. If we feel the Spirit moving upon our hearts today, may we heed, may we give in, may we listen and respond. If we hear the Savior knocking today, asking to come into this church, may we open the doors. If we hear him knocking upon us individually today, may we open the doors that we might enjoy this fellowship and communion with you. May we at this church, Forks of the Brandywine, may we never be a lukewarm church. And if there's any lukewarmness in us, Lord, get it out of us. Show us how to get it out. Teach us how to repent. Teach us how to do business with you, real spiritual business with you through the gospel. And make us an on-fire, communing and conquering church that perseveres to the end, following your will faithfully, and in all things being found pleasing to you. That's the kind of Christians we want to be. And that's the kind of church we want to belong to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.